0: Coming up on the Rip Body Podcast.
1: I think the major issue is that because food is a part of everyone's life, I feel like that gives people a false sense of authority when it comes to nutrition in the fact that everyone thinks they can have an opinion. Everyone thinks Mm -hmm. they're experts in the field purely because they eat for a living.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Andy Morgan, and on the RipBody Podcast, we teach the principles of long-term physique transformation. Or rather, that's what we usually do, but today I have special guest Dr. Ids here to talk us through the health side of nutritional research. Why is there so much misinformation out there? What can we do to protect ourselves against being fooled by it? Gluten, the carnivore diet, artificial sweetness, does fasting cure cancer? This was a fun one with a guy who's really going out there and doing battle with the misinformation that he finds on TikTok. Dr. Ids is hilarious. And don't worry, I hadn't heard of him either until a month ago, but I've enjoyed his content so much in the last few weeks that I just had to have him on. Enjoy. Dr. Ids. welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Now, the way I would describe you is... If Ben Carpenter is like the Batman of debunking nutrition and training nonsense for physique and body composition, you are the Batman for debunking the health side of nutritional nonsense. And I would describe you more as an assassin Ah. who just kind of pops up. And in twenty seconds, shoots people in the back of the head. I, I really like it. I think it's funny. It's dry as all hell, <laughs> and uh, and I get a real giggle. Um, th- th- thank you for your service, first of all.
1: No, thank you so much. That's that's uh, some nice compliments you threw in there. And um, the irony is, you labelled me an assassin when when I'm um, I tried to heal people as a profession. So yeah, fair
0: enough. <laughs> You've ta- you've taken uh, the Hippocratic Oath, haven't you? <laughs> did I get the name right?
1: Yeah, I've gone against the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you are a doctor. Shouldn't you be busy doctoring? Why do you do this? How did this start? What was the day? Mm. What happened on the day where you were just where you made your first reel? Okay, because you've got what you've been on Instagram for five months or something like that. But TikTok... About a year and a half. (laughs) ...for a year and a half. And you've grown to what? 1.2 million followers.
1: 1.3, almost four now, actually.
0: So, all right. So that day, it was January 2021 what happened what was it that what was it that poked you just a little <laughs> bit too much and you were like damn it i'm just going to get out my phone and, and and tiktok
1: yeah this is i i i always love answering this question because it's really um it really catches people off guard and i think it kind of alludes to the shift in health information that we've seen ever since covid-19 right and essentially mm. what happened was um, I used to personal train uh, people in the gym. I used to have one-to-one nutrition clients whilst studying at, at university, actually. And because of COVID, everything shut down. Everything, you know, in-person, face-to-face was no longer allowed. Um, you know, I wasn't able to have anyone round for consultations or I wasn't able to meet anyone. So my friends at university, um, this was actually during my master's year in nutrition research, um my friend said to me why don't you start providing the information you're giving on a one-to-one basis why don't you start doing that online because it's the only it's the only way in which you can disseminate your information right now i said okay Hmm. fine and then they said yeah why don't you go on tiktok and i said what tiktok like, isn't that isn't that an app where, you know, like 14-year-olds are dancing and stuff? And I was like, no, surely, surely not. I was like, surely not. And then just that conversation with my friends um, kind of sparked my interest. So I just downloaded the app. I then just started scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And, you know, the algorithm's very intelligent. Anyone that has TikTok, they know the algorithm is spot on. Like, after a couple hours of scrolling, it will figure out what you like and what, and what you don't like. So basically, I very quickly found myself on the nutrition and health space, right? And little did I know that there were thousands and thousands of creators chatting absolute nonsense, like it's utter horrendous stuff. Some of the first, some of the earliest viral videos that I saw must have been something like, um, you know, lose 20 pounds in 10 days with this concoction laxative drink like stupid amounts of soluble fiber and fruits and citric acid and you know lemon peel and banana stuff and all in just a blended random drink and it's like oh drink this every morning and then you have the comments thousands of thousands of comments literally saying oh I've done this and I'm like six pounds lighter in two days it's like yeah because you shut your brains out. That's literally why you're lighter. Like, what are you So, I basically just had enough. I just had enough, and um, I then I then tried to test the waters by posting. My earliest videos were actually not kind of you know scientific health debunking videos. They were just you know a bit of kind of humor, a little bit of uh, you know exercise videos, bit of workout videos, and then when I realised that there was actually an audience for my content there after i think after four weeks i gained my first thousand followers and then four weeks after that i hit ten thousand and then since then it just it was just extrapolated massively uh Mm. to about a hundred thousand a month growing a month basically Mm. and then i I realized Yeah. yeah i realized that this is i need to keep this up because people are benefiting and i'm actually able to share the information uh, that I wanted to on on a one to one basis, but just to a broader audience.
0: So I guess you, your first kind of debunking video mm. then was a juice cleanse one, was it? No, where you no, just yeah. show someone talking nonsense, and then you you pop your head in from the bottom like you do, and then yeah. you say time for school, yeah, yeah, and then no. you, and then you tear it. And,
1: yeah, no, uh, no, I. Funnily enough, that that wasn't a thing that happened until probably four or five months into my kind of creating content. Um, I mm. just one day I don't know. I don't know how or what made me think to say time for school one day, but it was, I think it was someone that really got on my nerves and he's actually, I I don't want to give him any clout because he's actually really big and he's like a scam right now. He basically sells this like fiber in a packet, right? For like an extortionate amount of money. Um, And I remember kind of talking about him for the first time. And I said, time for school out of nowhere. And then, comments everywhere were like "Oh, petition to change your name or like to put CEO of of time for school or something right and I was like do people Mm -hmm. do people actually like me saying that and I just thought okay well let's just go with it and then I did it again and then again and again and now and now it's the point where if I don't say it I get hounded in the comments it's like Mm -hmm. you know oh you know you can't make a video without saying it what are you doing what are you doing so hmm. yeah now I'm kind of left in this dilemma where I either I either have to say it or I get hounded by my own followers. So that's how it is.
0: <laughs> hey look if you got you got something that's working go for yeah. it. Yeah. That. Like if 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 the rock didn't smell what was cooking <laughs> we would all be a little bit upset, right? That's true. So.
1: Yeah, that's that's a very good point. So I guess I'm just a school doctor or whatever you want to call it. Yeah.
0: And you're a little class dismissed at the end. Yes. I like it. It's catchy.
1: Yes. Thank you very much. And
0: it has to be because ultimately you need to, you need to reach people. Mm. So that little bit of humor in there and that little bit of kind of insider, if you know, you know, Mm. it, it just helps with people's buying, right? Because ultimately you're trying to do good. Mm. You're trying to not get them mm, suckered in by this bad information. So why, why is there so much? Why is, it seems to me like there's never an end to it. Mm. It's whack-a-mole. Yeah. Why is that for nutritional research?
1: Yeah, very, very um, interesting and granular topic. It's, it's. I think the major issue is that because eating and food is a part of everyone's life, right? You can't, people can't go for long periods of time without without engaging in food, without without being conscious or active about the foods that they're eating. I feel like that gives people a false sense of authority when it comes to nutrition in the fact that everyone thinks they can have an opinion, everyone thinks Mm. they're experts in the field, purely because they eat for a living, right? Like everyone needs to eat. (laughs) Like, you know, the issue is we don't see people arguing about you know, uh, architectural science or what's the best way to design a skyscraper, right? Because not everyone does that every day, yeah? But when it comes to nutrition and fitness, to be fair as well, anyone that goes to the gym has an opinion about fitness or anyone that engages in any kind of health-promoting behavior also has, has an opinion. But nutrition specifically, because even those who aren't active, everyone eats. So, like, no matter who you are and if you've been on this earth for a long time, everyone eats, Right so mm. everyone has an opinion and that's that's the real problem and to to add on to that not only not only is it accessible to everyone the other side of it is from the scientific side actually shows that the nutritional research field is a lot more complicated than many other scientific fields when it comes to how you conduct and how you interpret the research behind it and why is that? And that's this, this is a very important question. This is a very important question. So it essentially comes down to the fact of the limitations regarding how to run uh, clinical interventions and also how to conduct large scale nutritional research studies. And the reason for that is, is because we are human, right? We can't, you know, you can't take a group of 20 people and compare it to a group of another 20 people where you lock them both in a scientific lab for 20 years you feed one group a plate of table sugar every day for 20 years and you feed the other group mm. fruits and veggies in the same calories yeah and then mm. if we have a hypothesis or a question that is does table sugar cause diabetes right mm. if we wanted to test that in in you know the most e- efficient simple way You would literally take a group of people, lock them up, control everything they do, give one group purely sugar and give the other group something else. Yeah. The issue is, is that you, we can't do that. We are not lab rats. We're not rodents trapped in a cage. There are many ethical barriers and there are many nuances when it comes to nutrition that, that kind of constrain the scientific field in a way where it becomes, an issue when interpreting the research behind it, because there are so many layers to it. Whereas if you compare to something like the pharmaceutical industry, right, we know how effective drugs are. It's very simple to run a a medication trial because you either give someone the pill or you give someone a a placebo. That is, that is literally it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't get more complicated than that. Whereas in food, nutrients don't exist in a vacuum. You can't isolate the effects of a single nutrient. So, yeah. you know, even if you are, e- even if you want to test the effects of, let's say, um, you know, a specific compound within fruit. Let's say you want to test the effects of, you know, polyphenols or flavonoids that are very, you know, pro anti-inflammatory. Right? They're very strong. They have a very anti-inflammatory effect. If you give someone a bowl of blueberries, yeah. There are lots of other compounds and nutrients within the blueberries that are going to make your interpretation of that a bit more difficult, right? Mm. So for all of these factors, you've got the ethical implications, you've got, you know, nutrients don't exist in isolation, and you've got the confounding variables from the nutrition side. And then on the other side, you've got that everyone has an opinion. So when you merge these two complicated things together, you're left with, Misinformation galore, basically.
0: Right. Because it's very yeah. it's
1: very granular. It's very it's very complicated.
0: Yeah. And then when you layer in that outside opinions mm. attract more attention because they are more interesting to listen to. Yeah. And because they get more kind of fighty comments and that feeds the algorithm and then, you know, mm. blows them up. Mm. Well then you get you get kind of extreme stupidity everywhere and the unfortunately the more confident someone sounds the we're kind of wired to trust that yeah. more than the careful scientist who caveats what they say <laughs> uh, who uses probabilities and says well we believe according to the Broad spectrum of research, mm. we think that, or the research suggests that, mm. in say 80 90% of cases, that mm. uh, this is likely to mm. happen, kind of thing, yes. right? Whereas someone said, No, nah, no, nah, no, nah, you should just cut out fruit, yeah, because it's I don't know insert your uh, silly thing here mm. right mm. Mm. It's, it's 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 so fucking infuriating yeah no that's <laughs> a, so that's
1: a very good point As, you know there's um there's actually been research on this specific topic about about how quickly misinformation spreads and it's something like um you know a health related post or blog or tweet has you know, a six-fold higher probability of becoming popular or becoming viral than something that is scientifically accurate. And Mm. that's literally because of the things you're saying. It's because of, you know, people are saying things in a confident manner, in a very kind of black and white fashion. You know, it's either good or it's either bad, or it either causes cancer or it doesn't. And you're right, to the average consumer, people it will kind of initiate a visceral emotional reaction to that post, right? Whereas someone mm. that is, that shows the nuance and shows the caveats and discusses what the limitations of the findings and, you know, perhaps it's not concrete evidence, that just doesn't sound as sexy or as cool. So, yeah, unfortunately, that is how it works. And, you know, it's a constant battle to... um you know avoid kind of the clickbaity stuff to avoid you know mentioning controversial opinions or you know um trying to stir up some you know raging comment fest in the comment section right (laughs) um but yeah i mean you know as professionals we need to we need to stay focused on the goal and try to not be disheartened by seeing these quacks get get the spotlight a lot quicker and a lot faster than we do
0: Mm. It, it's for the thing that came to mind there. If we take, say uh, the carnivore MD guy, mm. right? So there's the head of this tribe of people who think you should only eat meat, Yeah. which has also now been taken to a more extreme form where there's the liver king where yes. it's only raw meat. Yes. <laughs> right. Because yeah. of course I wonder how, where, where that's going to go from there. Cannibalism. <laughs> Not sure. Anyway, back, but back to carnivore MD, right? Who's, or is he, he calls himself Carnival MD, but I think he's a doctor of psychology, isn't he? No, no, he's
1: not no, actually. He is, no, no, he is a medical doctor. He, I think, okay, he, was, he was a PA, I think, a physician's associate first. Then he studied medicine. Mm-hmm. Then he became a cardiologist. Then he became a psychiatrist. But he, That's yeah, mm-hmm. but he, he actually um, commented on a video recently where he was like, oh, I would, I would love to speak with Doctor Ids. Um, I would love to debate him about uh, artificial sweeteners or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I blocked you because I was tired of seeing you talking crap. But if you want to debate, mm. I, I, I literally responded. I said, if you want to debate, let's go. And I've not heard anything since. So, you know.
0: Well, that that's not a surprise. He did that just to say I'm not backing down, and then he blocked me. Right, right, right. Classic. He did something uh, recently. There were two things he did recently, and I know it was just to throw fuel on the fire Mm -hmm. because I can't believe that he actually believes it. The first one was you don't need to wear sunscreen. Oh, you just expose yourself little by little per day, Mm -hmm. and you're totally fine. And there he is, you know, just Mm -hmm. walking around in Hawaii or wherever the hell he lives, California somewhere. with, with a nice tan. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's kind of dangerous. But then again, so is eating a diet massively high in saturated fat from just animal products and ignoring vegetables. Oh, yeah. Um, but the, the consequences of these recommendations, mm. a slight tangent here, the problem with this is the consequences of the recommendations are so far removed mm. from him and so difficult to pinpoint, which circles back to your um, the problem with nutritional interventions. Mm. Right, the, the, in twenty years when people are having heart attacks mm. or in five years when people are having skin getting skin cancer, mm. he's probably not going to be around to I don't know. What are you gonna do? Sue him? Yeah. And then there's another one and I know he just threw it out there just to just to get traction mm. or just 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 to Russell up a comment storm. It was like, do you know what I use uh on my hair and body mm. when I shower? Nothing, just water. Yeah, you don't need soap. Same goes for your teeth. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah. need to use toothpaste. <laughs> and it's just like, mate, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just... yeah. So, like, so, what do we do here, doctor? Well, Ritz? can't say your real name yeah. because, uh. In fact, let's well, tell oh, us why we can't say your real name in a moment. <laughs> but but well, before we get to that, okay. what what do we what do people do? Is it just a case of if it sounds too good to be true, mm. or if it sounds really wacky, mm. it's probably wrong. What, what you see, I say those things, and yeah. I can immediately think of places where even that advice goes wrong. What what do people do about it?
1: Yeah, the thing is this is this is key I think for the for the social media consumer is that we need to have a a couple of, you know, red flag alerts kind of always in the forefront of our mind whenever we're consuming content online, right? And I think mm. some good principles to stand by are one, as you said, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Okay. That's, that's, that's a very mm. typical one. Another one is if you see dozens and dozens of qualified healthcare professionals, yeah, going against someone in the comments, in their responses, in their critique of the person's content. Yeah. To the point where they're saying they're completely wrong. There's no caveat. There's no, you know, fair enough. He makes a good point. It's just pe- dozens and dozens of respected, qualified individuals are coming against this person. That should be a red flag. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that should be a red flag for you to reflect and for you to do more research. Okay. Another mm. point is when they cite evidence, but you see just from the face of the title, from even the abstract, that it's not human evidence, it's not on actual the people you're talking about or the people in which you're transferring or translating these results onto. It makes anyone that has any scientific rigor or any scientific knowledge understands that you can't associate the results from a different animal to a different animal. You just can't. That's not scientifically appropriate. Rodent studies have a very important role in nutritional research. In the fact that they are there to learn about the intricate mechanisms by which an exposure acts on our body, right? So we start to understand what happens at a cellular level. We start to understand whether, you know, these mechanisms hold weight when you go from cells to actual organisms, right? Mm. But you cannot say that that mechanism translates to humans until you have the human research to say that. And we've seen this many times where the animal models compared to the human models don't add up. So with insulin exposure, with uh, artificial sweeteners, with lots of cancer-inducing agents that don't seem to be a problem in humans, right? So when you see, it's too good to be true, probably is, when you've got dozens of professionals going against that person in the comments or in their video responses, that's also a red flag. When they're citing evidence that's not related to the people you're talking about, That's also a red flag. And when they don't add nuance or add caveats or, you know, they don't present a balanced view, they completely go one way and say everything else is wrong. And that's what people like Carnival MD do. They outright say that, you know, the majority of plant foods are going to be harmful for you. How can you say that statement without adding some kind of you know scientific nuance to it. It makes no sense because
0: uh, well, well, Doctor Ids, It's because plants are bad for you.
1: I, I mean, that's what I'm learning from watching his content. Yeah, I mean, I'm close to believing it. So if I'm close to believing it, imagine, imagine,
0: imagine. <laughs> You've what, been brainwashed yeah. at this point.
1: I think. I, well, yeah. well,
0: what is the? Sorry, go on. No, I
1: was just going to say. I think it's all the sunscreen I've been wearing. It's not. I need to. I need to lay off.
0: you guys please please keep wearing sunscreen and please keep brushing your teeth and (laughs) plants are good for you and the fact that they do have protective mechanisms doesn't mean that kind of coming back to that rodent research doesn't mean that they are going to poison you it protects them against (laughs) like insects and other smaller things right so exactly and you you said to me sadly Mm. sadly please don't say my name Mm. i go by dr id's for a reason yeah do you feel comfortable we can cut this bit out if you prefer but do you feel comfortable talking about what's
1: happening no no yeah we could talk about it i mean it's quite i I mean it's quite um comical if anything really but um Mm. you know i think it's important because on social media you know the average kind of follower or person that engages with someone's content, I think sometimes they don't understand kind of the barrier, right? Mm. They don't understand the line when it comes to, um, you know, respecting people's boundaries and respecting Mm. the limits of what you can and can't do. Right. So, I mean, a couple of times um, I've had, you know, people come to my place of work and ask for me. They say no. I, I'm not being seen by anyone else. I want I want Dr. IDS to treat me. I want Dr. IDS to look after me. And it's just entirely just not appropriate at all. You know, I've had I've had patients under my team's care, right? Back when I was on surgery, hmm. under my team's care who refused to be seen and had their bloods taken and had the results done. Until it was me who had time to come and take that patient's bloods, right? And it's just like you can't do that. You, you, you just can't like you're you're there to get help, right? You can't just wait. Mm. You can't wait for a specific person. You can't ask for me when I'm at home and I'm not on shift or whatever. Like and you know refuse to be seen. That's that can be harmful for you. Don't 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 do that. My colleagues are very. You know, we're all trained. We're all qualified. Don't be thinking like I'm, you know, you need to see me. And that's just not. So there's just a few of these incidences that have just really put me on the back foot. And, um, you know, it could, yeah, and it could just, it could end up doing harm to people, which I don't want, no one wants to happen. It's just it's quite unfortunate and it's it's a little bit it's a little bit uncomfortable as well really because you know you you yeah. you want to maintain you know social media is one thing and you know you can be kind of jokey you can be you know have a little bit of banter on social media whatever but when it comes to actual humans in the hospital where you are the professional you are the healthcare provider and they are the patient right boundaries need to be kept and they need they need to be met and you know, it's just not appropriate for someone to know me from an online social media point of view to then start demanding or to start expecting things in person. Um, so that's basically the crux of virtual.
0: Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Right, well, I'm glad, kind of, I'm glad to hear that it was that way. Mm. Like a, a problem with the the fame and, and say, a fan, fanboy, fangirl mm. uh, kind of leaking into into there rather than it being mm. death threats or something like that, because yeah. you said that um, the paleo diet doesn't necessarily have the uh, rigorous scientific backing yes. to support uh, some of the tenants of it. Yes. Okay, so so it, it hasn't been that you've had people coming after you for like slaying their um, no, no. diet no. I mean, I've
1: yet. had, I've had people complain about me from a, you know, from mm. a like professional standpoint, but obviously like nothing's going to happen because i cite my evidence and i know what i'm talking about so it's like it's like right. you know nothing uh, no you know it's not what's the word it's not um a problem if you are providing the evidence that is done in peer reviewed scientific publications and where you're making it clear that you are providing public health advice from a general point of view, and you're not giving specified medical advice for the individual, right? Obviously, if I was saying that for you specifically and your problems, this is going to be the best thing for you, then, yeah, obviously that's a problem. You shouldn't do that, right? But in the style in which I present my evidence, I'm literally critiquing and analyzing scientific evidence that's available for everyone to see. So, you know, people can complain all they want, but at the end of the day, yeah if you don't like the evidence I'm providing, then you've got a problem with science, not me,
0: you know? Strong point. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So something came to mind as maybe a a final Mm -hmm. check Mm -hmm. for people. And that is next time you go for like a health checkup, Mm -hmm. when you're having that chat with the doc, maybe just run by them what it is you want to ask about. Um, or what you've heard that you're kind of confused about. Because let's say you go to the comments and you see that there are medical professionals arguing in there, but you see some from both sides and you think that it might be balanced. Mm. Well, really, the algorithm clumps together these extreme views and and there are rewards for having extreme views. And so it may be just the 5% or the 2% of medical professionals who are either wrong or have just flat out sold out mm-hmm. um, in there, but it looks like it's balanced.
1: Yeah.
0: So you could just ask your your, your GP mm. or your, your physician when you go and see them what they think, and they'll tell you. Yeah. And yeah, you get people argue that, okay, well, doctors, they don't have the nutritional mm. um, qualification of nutritionists, but mm. they do know about science just be careful not to google yeah the doctor uh in your area who supports whatever it is you're looking for because otherwise you know obviously you've just selected a, you've just bought into into what you're yes uh, yes you've just cherry picked right yes yes <laughs> so don't do that
1: no this is this is actually a really good point and i'm i'm glad you raised it It's, um, you know, people are very quick to disregard MDs or doctors or whatever, when it comes to, you know, anything nutrition related. And whilst I would agree that the emphasis in medical school is not nutrition because, you know, this might hurt to some people, but funnily enough, your diet actually only dictates a small amount of your health overall right? Um, health is far more complicated, and the medical science field, you know, you cover everything to do with health, not just nutrition,
0: right? And if if my heart stops, mm. or I break my leg, or there are other emergencies that yes. need to be <laughs> <Yeah>. seen. <laughs> yeah. And fortunately, it's very fortunate what you said there, that, you know, it is just a small amount that yeah. your diet can influence on your health exactly. because it means that we can have a very wide rich diverse set of 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 dietary habits yeah. that change throughout geography yeah. and, and personal preference now that we have supermarkets mm. and you've got to go really extreme to screw up yeah which is yeah. Which, which saves us from ourselves really that's a very good point
1: yeah i love the way you said that because it just shows it just shows that the principles of a health promoting diet are very simple they're very simple and it's only until you have guys like carnival md that are trying to flip it on its head but mm. the vast majority of healthcare professionals coaches dietitians nutritionists doctors you know the ba- the foundations of a health promoting diet are going to be the same yeah and just to quickly circle back to, to the point that I was making about the primary physicians, I was saying that although you, know, we don't, you don't get an emphasis on nutrition science in medical school, what you do get is a heavy emphasis on how to interpret, how to find, and how to critique scientific evidence. Because research methods in medical school, even without doing extra learning, is a very key component. Because we need to always be up to date with the newest interventions, the newest diagnostic tests, the newest blood tests, the newest medications, the newest, you know, preventative measures for, you know, heart disease or what lifestyle advice do we give for diabetes or whatever, right? So because that makes Mm. such a solid foundation, if you ask your doctor to please, can you kindly you know, tell me what the evidence says about this nutrition or about this type of diet or this type of, you know, new fad that's come out, even though they may not know it off the top of their head, they will be able to find the information, the relevant information, and critique that for you so they can tell you at a later date. So even though you know, even myself, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fool anyone and say, I I've known everything that I've talked about on my TikTok or or my Instagram, right? Of course not. You know, I'm human. I have to, if I find out about a new compound that someone's talking about, or if I, you know, perhaps, uh, have not read the research on a specific type of diet for a long time, I will go back and I will go back to the research databases and I will look at the evidence and I will start critiquing the literature reviews and meta analyses, the controlled trials. And then when I feel like I'm comfortable enough to talk about it, I will then present my view. Right. So to reiterate that just because your doctor won't know off the top of their head for some things, don't then just disregard their opinion completely. Ask them to find the information for you and give them their view as your primary healthcare provider, because that's always going to be better than what you see online. And it's always going to be tailored to you because they are your doctor and they know your specific situation. Right. So I think that's a very good, that's just a very good thing to point out is that people slate doctors a lot. Like obviously I get it a lot myself, despite being, you know, despite having extra credentials in research specifically and in nutrition specifically. And it's just sad to see because, you know, doctors are genuinely in the game of improving people's health. You know, no one studies that long, that hard, that many sleepless nights, that many exams, that much money in debt. To then try and push some kind of fad, stupid thing, right? Like we are,
0: wow. j- A few of them do. Oh, a couple. They, when they flashed enough off- money. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure, a couple. Right, and we know we know yeah. the couple that we're talking about because misinformation becomes it spreads quicker than accurate information, right? But if you look, yeah. if you just Google how many doctors there are in the UK, how many doctors there are in in the US right? Compare that to the few that we know that are complete quacks. Yeah. Mm. Clearly, you can tell that the majority of doctors do want to help and you shouldn't just disregard them completely,
0: right? Well, yeah, the the part of their school was teaching them how to think Mm. critically and to assess the weights of evidence, right? And that is something that I have a degree of familiarity with that mm, mm. but i know that i am woefully equipped to do a really good job of that mm,
1: mm.
0: compared with someone who's been to school mm. and learned about that and not just a, and practices it
1: and not just a school of Ids. i'm talking proper school yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> time for school yeah. um, i just want to run through mm. A few things here, and I get your 30 second take on them, if I may. Okay. That's before wrapping up. Here.
1: That's going to be hard, but I'll try. Okay. I'll
0: try. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no. This is real test. Okay. Gluten's bad for us.
1: No, it's not bad. There are a percentage of the population that have non gluten sensitivity, there are a percentage of the population that are. Undiagnosed celiac or diagnosed celiac, and that's completely fine. The way I like to caveat uh, saying that gluten is not bad for you is by saying that anyone that experiences um, gastrointestinal upset, negative symptoms, um, you know, flatulence, diarrhea, bloating, constipation, uh, perhaps nausea, vomiting, uh, a bit of, you know, pain in your stomach, any kind of those symptoms, right? then it's probably best for you to avoid gluten. Whether it's for a specific medical condition, whether it's an allergy, whether it's an intolerance, I can't say, best to talk to your doctor. But for the vast majority of people, there is no evidence that gluten has any detrimental metabolic or health implications. Actually, the evidence is the opposite. Those who actively avoid gluten with no medical reason to have a diet that is generally higher on the dietary inflammatory index, as well as missing out on many key nutrients from whole grains and other sources of gluten, which could then lead to increased risk of arterial disease later on in life. And there are cohort studies that I've cited actually showing that. Um, So generally speaking, no, gluten's not bad. If you have any symptoms, talk to your doctor. You might want to look at an exclusion type diet or a diet low in fodmaps for example um, other other than that there is no reason to enjoy your gluten
0: that was a great answer but it wasn't a 90 second game it was a 30 second oh. game so i'm going to have to give you a b minus <laughs> uh, <laughs> i
1: can i can i can't do that anyway,
0: can't. <laughs> but you you can you can save yourself on our next one okay. uh, fasting uh, will prevent us from getting cancer or if you have cancer can take away that cancer.
1: Fasting um, can have benefits for uh, slowing down the growth of cancer cells, for regressing specific types of cancer, but it seems like the majority of that benefit comes from the calorie restriction you are inducing from that dietary intervention because if you overconsume calories and you have an excess of energy, cancer cells have a higher metabolic rate than other cells, meaning they crave more energy. So if you're fueling your body with more energy, the cancer is going to like that, regardless of what nutrients it comes from, whether it's fats, whether it's, you know, carbohydrates and even some some forms of protein as well. But there is some large or there are some large clinical trials happening at the moment at the moment which do look into the mechanisms behind Prolonged periods of fast under medical supervision, which could show benefits, superior benefits over the restriction that it's inducing. But the evidence is not strong enough yet.
0: Gotcha. So if you have cancer, if you know someone who has cancer, are you recommending that they fast for three, five, seven days?
1: Not at all. No, I'm not recommending anything at all. Always your individualized approach with your doctor should always be your uh your rationale and your way of thinking all i am saying is the evidence for fasting interventions largely comes from the calorie restriction you are um you are promoting on yourself but also um you have to weigh up the negatives from malnutrition from cachexia where your body is wasting away and cancer is very good at doing that. It's very good at seeping up all your nutrients, all your nutrition. Your muscle will start to degrade. Your mobility, quality of life will start to degrade. So that is why you must not do things out of your own looking or reading or online, even my videos. You must always check with your medical team, your oncology dietitian, your oncologist a doctor to make sure is it a sensible thing for you because you need to weigh up the progression of the cancer versus malnourishment and cachexia. Important.
0: Th- thank you. Uh, th- 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 that's one that really gets me in the feels the most because I think mm. someone who is obviously in a desperate situation who then decides because they've read about yes. um, extended fasting that they,
1: yeah.
0: they're going to do that. mm it could put them in a very bad situation and very, and and uh, very quickly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Zero calorie drinks because of the sweetness in there, Mm -hmm. they're going to trick the body Mm -hmm. um, and cause more fat gain.
1: Yeah. No, that doesn't happen. (laughs) This is also something that's been massively extrapolated from rodent models where you inject, 500 times the aspartame dosage into the eyeball of a rat and you wonder why something bad's happened right yeah no shit if you give me that much probably something bad will happen as well but anyway Mm -hmm. um yeah no zero calorie drinks there is no human evidence in a controlled fashion that shows that um, irrespective of the actual ad libitum or the free living situations where people might consume more because maybe they crave more hyperpalatable foods, outside of those mechanisms which don't even hold weight anyway, um, zero-calorie drinks don't increase uh, fat storage. They don't increase insulin overall. They don't increase blood glucose. They don't increase uh, metabolic inflexibility or insulin resistance or any metabolic parameters, lipid markers, blood tests, anything like that. Um, The irony is, the evidence actually shows that when you go from sugary versions of the drink to zero-calorie drinks, some health parameters improve more than when you go from sugary drinks to water. And that's really, that's really interesting, and that's a new meta-analysis in 2022, I think, of 17 control studies, which shows that – and this is also touching on the fact that when you are someone that consumes lots of sugary drinks, yeah, if you tell that person to go straight from those drinks to water, what you are doing is you are taking out a large – um, percentage of the enjoyment of their diet away straight away. And what that means is they're not getting that same benefit or the same taste from the water, right? So in free living situations, they are likely going to compensate by actually eating those hyperpalatable foods in solid whole foods, right? So when you leave people in free living situations to make that decision for them, you might not actually be improving their health you you actually- it actually might be more beneficial to go to zero calorie drinks that have that sweet kick and that sweet taste that might help curb the appetite for those sugary foods elsewhere, so that's the massive irony of this whole conversation
0: it makes a lot of sense yeah, and I'm going to just kind of come in and nutrition Karen you here yeah, yeah, but they cause cancer, right
1: uh no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that comes down to the rodent uh rodent models and giving like 500x yes. the uh
1: No this yeah. is this is uh this is a good topic. Recently the French study on 100,000 participants, I don't know if you're aware of it, um came out no. and said there are two types of sweetener. One was sucralose and the other one I think was uh, saccharin or something like that that basically showed that the people in the highest consumer group over a prolonged many years, right, they had a slightly increased risk of cancer, I think, by 14 or 15%. And this is like the first large-scale cohort study that has shown this link, right? And mm-hmm. I've actually gone into the study myself and looked at it and pretty much sussed out that it's a pretty poor study overall. Um, and right. the reason for that is is because if you are hypothesizing that there is a dose response relationship right, with the sweetener and cancer, which is what these people are saying, oh, if you have more of this sweetener, you're going to have a higher risk of cancer. What actually happens is the lower exposure group, so the group that only has a bit of sweetener, has a higher risk of cancer than the ones that are consuming it the most. So why would the risk not continue to go up if there's a genuine relationship? right? So what this shows, go on.
0: Run that by me again. Okay. I did not understand that. So you're saying, so, yeah, so go on, say that again. So
1: you've got groups that are examined, right, in differing amounts of exposure, which means that you yes. subcategorize the 100,000 people to those that don't yep. have the sweetener, those that have a bit of it every day, those that have yep. a medium, yep. and those that have a lot every day, right? Yes. So the yes. groups that only have a little bit have a higher risk of cancer than those that have it the most. It actually... Oh, they do? Yeah. It, oh, they,
0: this is what the study shows. Yeah, show. yeah,
1: yeah. It actually goes down by 1%. So from a 14% increased risk, the highest group has a 13% increased risk. So if the mechanism is holding true that there is a dose-response relationship, then why do we not see a genuine increase in the exposure? And you know why? Right. do you know why this happens? This happens. I can guess. Go on. Go on. I
0: was I was going to say because this is entirely free living situation, Mm -hmm. and so it's probably a case of the super health conscious people are the ones that have none, no artificial Mm -hmm. sweetener in their diet, Mm -hmm. other than their protein shakes, which they forgot about. But we'll ignore (laughs) that for a second, and I'm sure that's probably logged anyway. So they'll be in the low one. Um. But because they're super health conscious, they've got a whole clump of other activities and food choices and perhaps sleep um, habits mm-hmm. that are factoring in. And that is what gives them this lower cancer risk overall. That's my guess. So
1: you're saying, OK, but then what? how does that explain why those that consume the highest amount of sweetener have a lower risk of cancer than those only having a little bit? Because you're saying, yeah, well, it's it's
0: on. it's thirteen fourteen yes. percent, so it's not it's it's not big enough.
1: Yeah, uh, but not, then again,
0: you would if if we're assuming that um, sweeteners. Um, are correlated with unhealthy behaviors, yeah. and therefore, yeah. the more sweeteners in the diet, yeah. the unhealthier the behaviors. You would expect then for the cancer risk to rise in the higher group. Yeah. No, I'm stumped. Go yeah, on. Yeah. Uh, take me to school. No, so take me to school, doctor. Yeah,
1: yeah, no. So basically, you are pretty much on the right line. But the thing mm. is, you we can't assume that those who cut out sweeteners are more health conscious. What we can do is we can say that there is a lot of residual confounding amongst all of the subcategories of populations, right? Which shows Mm. that actually we can't say for certainty that there is a good relationship with this sweetener because if you don't have a dose-response relationship, then clearly there because the highest exposed group are having several times those that are having only a little bit, So we Mm -hmm. should theoretically see several times increase in cancer risk, right? But as you Mm -hmm. rightly said, even though the health-seeking behaviours have been moderated and adjusted for in the analysis, right, there is going to be some residual confounding because food frequency questionnaires aren't 100% accurate, of course, right, when you want to calculate someone's dietary interventions. A questionnaire about you know, uh, your activity levels is not going to be 100% accurate, right? Uh, sure, you know, I know that
0: from my work with clients. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Right, yeah.
1: People, pe- people love to, you know, joke about what they do and what they don't do, right, and stuff. Um, and also the uh, some of the groups were smokers versus not. And, you know, even though we have lots of very intricate statistical ways to adjust for all of these things, the biggest flaw in the study is 100% the fact that there is no dose-response relationship. If there's no dose-response relationship and, it's, and those findings have not been replicated time and time again in large cohort studies or case control studies, then we can pretty much just say it's not reliable. Because I've literally cited a meta-analysis of 10 case control studies across many different populations, right? Lots of different independent researchers, independent clinical trials that show no association between artificial sweeteners and cancer risk. And even when you subcategorize those studies, there is an inverse relationship between some sweeteners and urinary tract cancer. So actually having these sweeteners is protective for some specific types of cancer. So that's the massive Mm. irony. We can't just take this one study, which is what people love to do. They love to demonize things based on one clinical trial, right? That is not how scientific consensus works. That is not how scientific interpretation works. One study in a field of hundreds of studies does not hold weight. If it was the only study that's ever been done, then I would be a bit more open to giving it some weight, right? I would say, okay, this is interesting. We haven't had any data to say the opposite. We've only got data showing that it's for cancer, right? Then I would be a little bit more, okay, fair enough. There might be an argument here, but that's not the case. Sweeteners have been studied for a long time. They will continue to be studied and people need to stop hanging their hat on an isolated finding that's not been replicated.
0: And also funny, like, it's funny, sweeteners, it's not just one one compound, is it? Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) There are many. Yeah. And just to clarify Mm -hmm. here, the study, the outcome of that study and how it's going to be misinterpreted. Yes. And how and the flood of people talking about, see, I told you so. Yeah, sweetness causes cancer. Again, sweetness causes cancer. Not this one specific one. Yeah. I'm not talking about the individual difference. Not talking about these marked limitations. Um, the way that this study is going to be butchered now mm. and used for misinformation is not the fault of the researchers. Mm-hmm. They're just presenting what they had a hypothesis. Yep. They've got their data set. They're then presenting that. And I'm sure they've, well, I don't know. You mm. can tell me, but I'm sure they've presented their findings. And the title isn't, yeah, this one specific sweetener causes, in, increases the risk of cancer. Maybe they did because they mm. because null findings are easier to get published. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> which is another problem of research itself. But it's, they were just following their curiosity. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, the Daily Mail yeah. and everyone who reads the Daily Mail and jumps on TikTok is going to start those alarm bells because that's going to get them attention.
1: No, really good point. And I, I just want to add to that by saying that a 14% relative increased risk of cancer for a specific type of cancer, or a specific type of sweetener, or whatever, is actually not that much. So it's really tiny. It's not an absolute increased risk. It's a relative mm. increased risk, right? So if your probability of getting a bladder cancer is, let's say 1.5%, right? In your, mm. in your lifetime, it's a, let's say 15% increased risk of cancer, right? You're literally going to have what? Like a 1.7% 1. 1. increase, 1.7% uh, risk of cancer now? something like that right yeah 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 so you, yeah. people need to understand that this now doesn't mean that sweeteners cause cancer because once again nutrition is only a small part of cancer in the actual etiology and the cause and the physiology of cancer nutrition can only do so much it's a tiny it's a tiny amount cancer mm. you know you can't diet your way out of getting cancer i'm sorry to say Like, it's really, I'm sorry to say that there are lots of cancers that are associated with obesity, excess calories, you know, refined total sugar intake, whatever. But I'm sorry to say the majority of people that get cancer don't get cancer because they have a poor diet. That's just the fact and the physiology of how cancer works. You know, there are lots of things that increase your cancer risk to a far greater extent, such as alcohol, smoking, being morbidly obese. Even having poor sleep and having even shift work. These are all things that have independent effects, and people need to stop relying that there is a one, you know, a one solution or one thing that fixes all when it comes to our health in the long run. And what people need to st- also stop doing is, you know, shaming people for having a disease or having an illness and specifically attributing that to their dietary choices. No. Just because someone's got an autoimmune disease, just because someone's got a cancer, just because someone's got a specific illness, whatever, it's not It's not solely because of their diet. And the truth is, it will only ever be a small amount that is attributable to their diet. So that's a very important point to raise.
0: Thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. No, me too. If people want to find you, it's at... Doctor underscore IDZ. Yeah. That's on Insta. Yep. Is that also on TikTok? Yeah, over on over on TikTok. Yep. Yeah. That is. If people want to get in touch, mm-hmm. if people want to do some work with you, is that a possibility? Or
1: um I mean I don't really advertise one to one clients or anything because I literally have the capacity of having three or four at any one time right? I don't don't post anything. I don't say anything. I just occasionally accept people if I feel like I have time. But people can always reach out via Instagram, you know, drop a comment on TikTok. And I do have some exciting resources and um, educational content that will be a service that I'll be providing in a few months time in the form of a course that will be accessible for a lot of people. So definitely keep a lookout for that. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out.
0: What's that course going to be on?
1: I don't want to say too much at the moment, but it's going to be mm. a you know healthy eating, nutrition uh, course, basically online course, mm-hmm. You know, video tutorials, modules, episodes. Um, yeah, the whole works.
0: Great. I love it. Look forward to seeing you. Lovely. Uh, Dr. Ritz, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. Follow Dr. Ritz.
1: Honestly, it's been great. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn how to set up the diets of my coaching clients, go to ribbody.com and enter your email address. You'll get my free nutrition setup guide, along with a seven-day email course guiding you through the five common mistakes that I see people make. Again, that's totally free, and it's better than what most people charge for. All right, until next time then. Peace.